then we just sang together, talks about the forgiveness of our sins and the blessings, the peace that we have in uh, Jesus Christ. And it's this focus on uh, the content of the gospel whereby we can hear of that good news of the forgiveness of our sins in Christ are going to be looking at. So let's turn uh, together in the back of our songbooks. We're going to be looking at Belgian Confession Article 29. Belgian Confession, Article 29. But first, our text is 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 is our text, verse 18 through 21. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's found on page 1,131, 1,131, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll start at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1 to verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's particularly the wisdom of God in verse 21 pleased God through the wisdom of what we preach to save those who believe. And then the content of that uh, preaching, verse 23, preach Christ crucified. Let's now turn in the back of our songbooks. We're going to be looking at Belgic Confession uh, 29. Belgic Confession uh, 29. That's page 866, 866 in the back of our uh, red uh, Trinity songbooks. The marks of the true church. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully by the word of God what is the true church. For all sects in the world today claim for themselves the name of, quote, the church. We are not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good in the church and who nonetheless are not part of it even though they are physically there. But we are speaking of distinguishing the body and fellowship of the true church from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. It makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. 
By these marks, one can be assured of recognizing the true church, and no one ought to be separated from it. As for those who are of the church, we can recognize them by, distinguish, by the distinguishing marks of Christians, namely by faith and by their fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness, once they have received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. They love the true God and their neighbors without turning to the right or left, and they crucify the flesh and its works. Though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their lives, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. As for the false church, it assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. It does not want to subject itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his word. It rather adds to them or subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself on men more than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God and who rebuke it for its faults, greed, and idolatry. These two churches are easy to recognize and thus to distinguish from each other. And as far as reading uh, in the Belgian Confession, particularly the third a paragraph there, uh, the marks of the true church, which is the church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel and makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments and it practices church discipline, the three marks there. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you tell something that is real from something that is fake? Well, in order to tell the difference between something that is real and something that is fake, you have to have a standard to compare it to. There is a quality issue that is at stake. Uh, let's say, for example, tomorrow morning you want to go out and buy yourself a new pair of shoes and you want a, a real pair of Nike shoes. If you are looking for a real pair of Nike shoes, are you going to go to Nike.com or are you going to go to Temu.com? Are you going to look at that, that Chinese website that sells fake knockoffs or are you going to go to the source in order to find that which is authentic and true? Well, in a similar way today, we are going to see that when it comes to finding the pure preaching of the word, we're going to go to a true church to find that true, authentic preaching of the word. Just as there are fake knockoff products and true, authentic products, we can find that there is also a false knockoff fake church in this world and a true, authentic church in this world as well. The church is costly. It is precious, and it has something of great worth within it. The fake church, the false church, is a knockoff. It's important for us to know the difference between the true church and the false church. Uh, in our continued series through the Belgian Confession, we saw a few weeks back that there is a, a universal, a Catholic church, one body of believers gathered from the beginning of the world to the end. And this universal church is made manifest, is seen in local congregations. Well, this, this week we're going to be looking at not only are there local congregations, which local congregations should we join? There's so many, there's such a variety. We are obligated, we found last week, we're obligated to join a local church. 
We are not content to be by ourselves, like living on an island. We, we find salvation. We are saved and sanctified in the context of a local community of believers. But which one? Are all churches equal? Well, unfortunately, the name church is dreadfully overused today. For example, there are many heretical groups that use the name church, such as the Mormon church. Added to this, there are other branches of the historic Christian tradition, such as the Roman Catholic church and the Eastern Orthodox church. To make matters even more confusing, there are a host of other denominations. There's OPC, PCA, CRC, URC. How do we avoid getting lost in the alphabet soup of church denominations? It is by submitting to this truth. There is a true church that can be found and easily identified as we look at the marks. So today we're going to look at this theme. Jesus Christ clearly reveals the true church as the location where sinners are saved. Jesus Christ clearly reveals the true church as the place, the location, where sinners are being saved. In our first point, then, we're going to look at uh, the mark that sets the true church apart from the false church. Although we recognize there are three marks, there is really one principal mark. If you get the first mark correct the other two will fall into place. So we are distinguishing a true congregation of Christ from a false, a fake gathering that has no right to claim the name church. Now this is not something new and this is not something that is unique to us in our present context. In the early church, Right after uh, the Pentecost, in the days of the apostles, they had to contend with various uh, perversions as well. For example, you, have the, you had the sect of the Sadducees. The Sadducees rejected the doctrine of the resurrection and the existence of angels. You also had the Judaizers, which we're looking at in our study through Galatians. The Judaizers who taught salvation by obedience and works, that you're in the covenant by grace, but you stay in by what you do, by your effort, which also needs to be, this false teaching needs to be identified and rejected. So the early church needed to be very discerning, wise, when it comes to, to, to making a distinction between what is true and what is false. If we are looking for a church that is true and acceptable to God, we have to find this mark, the pure preaching of the word. The standard is this, the truth. As our article puts it, Belgian Confession Article 29, the true church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. This first and most foundational point must be seen in a church in order for that church to be recognized as a true church. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 4. Paul telling to his, his, young, his young son in the faith, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with all patience and teaching. 
Paul says in that context, this is particularly important because people are going to have itching ears. People are going to look for speakers. They're going to follow leaders that tell them what they want to hear. But don't fall into that trap, Timothy. Don't be uh, the kind of, of preacher who simply tells people what they want to hear. Preach the word. Preach the truth. It's unsettling. It's offensive at times, but you need to preach the word. Why is this mark so important? Because people do not always like what they hear when they are hearing the pure preaching. It's not always comfortable to have your sins exposed and your need for a Savior constantly placed before your eyes. But you, Timothy, you must fulfill your ministry. Preach the word in season and out of season, day after day, week after week, Sunday after Sunday. Preach the word. Well, what is this pure gospel? What is this word that must be preached? What exactly is the pure gospel that we must hear? Well, in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul puts it like this. We are preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what is the pure doctrine that is going to be proclaimed? The pure content of that good news is this. Jesus Christ has been crucified. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has taken on our flesh, suffered in our place, offered up his life as a one sacrifice for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The content of the good news is Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is the purpose of this good news? The purpose of this good news is the salvation of God's people. As we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 1, it is foolishness to those in this world. But it is the power of God by which he saves his people. We found the same thing in Romans chapter 10 a few weeks ago. God is pleased to use the preaching of the word to produce faith in the hearts of his people. So when we look at the pure preaching of the, of the gospel, the content is Jesus Christ and him crucified, and the end result of that preaching of Jesus Christ is the changing of hearts, the softening of hearts, the saving of sinners, where they come to see, I can't save myself, I can't deliver myself, my only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. So this most vital and pressing mark must be present in the church. How do you know if your church is a true church? Listen to the preaching. What is the content? Are you hearing of Christ? What is the sermon about? Is it Christ and him crucified? Now this, brothers and sisters, is very concrete and has a very specific and pressing application. It is a timely reminder that we all must be committed to this mark. We cannot simply assume or sit back on our, on our back ends and assume that this is going to continue to go forth. Just because a church is part of a specific 
denomination, just because there is a, a history of finding the preaching in that specific church, does not mean that it continues and remains to this day. Paul puts it like this in Acts chapter 20. He did not shrink from declaring the full counsel of God. But just because the gospel was once proclaimed in that pulpit does not mean that the gospel is continuing to be proclaimed in that pulpit. Times change. Churches change. Pastors come and go. And a church may fall from its former glory. It's kind of like when you, when you meet with your financial advisor and they're talking about your investments. Past performance is not a guarantee of future responses or returns. This is the very issue that Jesus was speaking about in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. In Revelation 2, verse 5, there was a church at Ephesus, a church at Ephesus that had once been a great uh, uh, bastion of truth, a great fortress, a defender of the good news, sending out faithful ministers, a place where the gospel was proclaimed in season and out of season. But Jesus Christ warns them and rebukes them openly in Revelation chapter 2. You have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first love. So Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, repent or I will remove your lampstand from its place. So in Revelation 2, we find a historic example that it is possible for a once true and faithful church to devolve into a false, rebellious church in one generation. It's happened in the past. Simply having the history of being a true and faithful church and belonging to a specific denomination is not a guarantee that your church will remain and endure as a faithful church. Jesus says, I can remove that lampstand. I can take away that light. The lampstand here representing the presence of the Spirit. Jesus warns. Nothing good follows when the blind are leading the blind. Children, as you know, it would be very unwise to hop in a car where the driver was blind. What happens if you get into a church where there is no light, where there is no vision, no clarity, where the, the leaders are blind? What happens is that that church is led into a ditch. In a similar way, if you sit under the preaching of the false gospel, you are not hearing the good news. And you will not be free. You are putting yourself in a dangerous situation. So this is a reminder, a calling, that we are all responsible. We all have to be on guard, diligent. Every generation, every generation standing firm, every elder guarding the good deposit that was entrusted to them. Every one of us being faithful as we receive the good deposit, carrying it and then handing it on to the next generation. The word of God declared in this church year in and year out because as the church of Ephesus illustrates to us, 
Being faithful in the past is not a guarantee of faithfulness in the future. Just as a child is not saved based on the faith of their parents, so also the standing of the local church is not guaranteed by past faithfulness. Because what can happen in the church is that the true gospel can be pushed out and replaced by the false gospel. So we come to our second point, which is the mark of the gospel defended. The true gospel can be replaced with another gospel, as Paul says in Galatians, which is no gospel at all. There are not multiple gospels. There are multiple false gospels, as we're going to see. But there is only one true gospel. And this gospel cannot be replaced. This mark must remain in the church and it must be defended. Because the church stands or falls on this mark. If there is no pure preaching of the word, can you call that church a true church? So it's the responsibility of every member and particularly the elders of that church to be discerning in this matter. 1 John 4 puts it this way, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether it comes from God. Because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. So it is, we see in our own context that many false gospels have infected churches that were once faithful. What follows are four examples. There's four examples of false gospel that you find in North America. The first false gospel is the prosperity gospel. It's the name it, claim it false gospel peddled by men like Joel Osteen, which teaches this, if you believe it, you'll receive it. God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. You are powerful, quoting from Olstein. It is your time to shine. Is that the gospel? Is that the good news of Jesus Christ, that those who are united to Christ take up their cross and follow him? Did not Jesus say they persecuted Jesus? They persecuted him. They're going to persecute those who follow him. The prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It's a false gospel and it leads to hell because it promises your best life now where we are seeking the kingdom that is coming. The second false gospel is called the social gospel. The social gospel is a movement found within churches where the preaching of the gospel is pushed aside and replaced with a call to combat every social injustice and right every social wrong. Thus, the Bible is reduced to a collection of ethical statements. What does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't matter what you believe. To be a Christian, all you need to do is do no harm, do no judge, be kind to everyone, and you will be saved. This is the social gospel, where social conditions are the main focus of preaching. 
and that it is the job of the church to right every wrong in society. That is not the gospel. To be clear, as Christians, we will be involved in social matters. Yes and amen. Don't misunderstand this point. God's people should be concerned with the plight of the poor and distressed in our society. But when that call to action replaces the gospel where it is the demand for faith and repentance where the problem comes. What we do, our actions in society are not a replacement for being saved by Jesus Christ and through faith in him. The third example of the false gospel in our present society is called the cultural gospel. The cultural gospel is preaching that bends to the spirit of the age. It's like a blade of grass that blows in the wind. This cultural gospel bends to accept cultural norms. It is found in the United Church, for example. There are many churches, so-called churches today, that preach acceptance and tolerance of all things. Gay marriage, homosexual clergy, trans rights, feminism, pluralism, communism, fill in the blank. Whatever the politicians are pushing takes the place of the gospel. This becomes a soapbox upon which that particular preacher stands. You find this when politicians are invited to speak in the place of the sermon. That's cultural gospel. It's a perversion. Not only does this kind of preaching fail to to preach the good news, Isaiah warned against this in Isaiah chapter 5, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. God's curse is upon those who distort the truth and muddy the water. God's word does not change and his standard remains fixed. We cannot change what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil based on what our society is preaching and teaching. God's standard doesn't change. The truth of the gospel doesn't change. The final and the fourth false gospel is what I call works gospel. Works gospel. This is the false gospel that you'll find in Roman Catholic churches. When you look at the marks of the true church, earlier we read in, in, in um, Belgian Confession 29, there is a clear distinction, division, between the true church and the false church. And the false church, the marks of the false church, are clearly pointing to the Roman church. Right? The Roman Catholic church preaches a false gospel. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everyone who attends a Roman Catholic church is not saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you look at the doctrine that the Roman church teaches, it is clearly teaching a false gospel, a false works gospel. It's the same thing that we find in our book in Galatians, our study of Galatians. That you're in by grace, but you can fall from that grace and you need to be brought back in by what you do. It's works. 
Your standing before God is dependent on your actions. This is the false gospel. It is not true. The works gospel is clearly refuted by Paul. Saved by grace through faith that not of yourself. No man can boast because it's not your works, Ephesians 2 says. So to be very clear, and I know this is a little bit contrary to what some of our area schools might teach, the Roman church is not a sister church. They are not separated brothers and sisters in the faith. They are a false church. They teach a version of the gospel that does not lead to salvation. If you are praying to Mary and trusting in the works of the saints, you are not saved. Do not be cons- don't be confused on this. Supplementing the works of Christ or trying to continue the one sacrifice of Christ confuses what the truth is. That he was sacrificed once for all for the complete salvation, the forgiveness of all our sins. So in order for us to know, in order for us to understand what is the truth, we have to be able to define what the gospel is. If your preaching of the gospel starts or ends with what man does, then your answer is wrong. If I were to ask you what is the gospel and your answer has anything to do with what man does, you got the answer wrong. The good news is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Grace is not a work. It's freely given. And where does faith come from? Faith is produced in our hearts by the Spirit. Even our faith is not a work. Titus 3 summarizes the gospel in three words. He saved us. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's in this work that our good news is found. We're born sinners, saved by Christ and Christ alone. But before we go into our last point, a reminder that the mark of the pure preaching is the mark of the true church. It is not the mark of the perfect church. Our article makes this clear as well. There is no such thing as a perfect church here on earth. Because as soon as people join that church, that church is populated by sinners. Human preachers are clay pots, earthen vessels. They make mistakes. It is not the preacher that should be your joy. It is the riches, the treasures that the preacher proclaims. And that's why when it comes to the marks of the true church, there must also be accountability and encouragement. Even those who lead, elders and the pastor of the church, they are not perfect. They, must, they too must be humble and teachable, going back to God's word. You will never hear a perfect sermon here. You will never hear a perfect sermon here. I could always have been more clear more succinct. But the point is this. Are you hearing Jesus Christ? 
Are you being brought back to the cross again and again? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the solid food, the meat and potatoes of the gospel that we all need to feed upon. A sermon is not just a a message. It's not a a feel-good lecture. It is the cross of Christ put on display. As I said before, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There will always be uh, the need to deal with sin. In our last point, very briefly, we're going to see that the remaining two marks of the true church are also necessary. Faith and repentance will be evident in God's people. And when there is a failure, when people are refusing to repent and believe, we have the mark of discipline. What is discipline designed to do? Concerning discipline, it is designed to awaken sleeping sinners. We're going to be looking at this again later on in Belgian Confession 32. If there are people who want to join the church but refuse to have the marks of a Christian, discipline is designed to expose that sin, to confront that sin, and to call for faith and repentance. Simply sitting under the preaching of the true gospel is not a guarantee that you are a Christian. I'll say that again. Being a member of a true church is not a guarantee that you are a true Christian. You have to have the marks of a Christian, as our article says. True faith and repentance. You hear the gospel preaching, you believe the gospel preaching, which is trusting in Christ, and then your life reflects that. If you are living in rebellion, either in your doctrine, what you believe, or practice what you do, discipline is designed to expose that. And if you refuse to repent and believe, discipline's the final step, excommunication, is to remove you from the church because you are not united to Christ. And then the last mark we're going to be looking at is sacraments. Sacraments are, in fact, the gospel made visible what does baptism teach jesus christ's sins cleanse you from all your sin jesus christ's blood cleanses you from all your sins as water washes away dirt from your body what does the lord's supper teach christ's body and blood were broken and shed for the complete forgiveness of all your sins the sacraments are the god ordained visual aids that help us in our weakness and encourage strong faith to conclude, we're going, to be look, we're going to be looking at the sacraments again in Belgic Confession 34 and 35, so we can be brief here as well. Uh, to conclude, the marks of the true church are a helpful tool. They're a helpful tool in helping us discern, distinguishing true church from a false church. When considering these marks, they must be primary and of central importance to us. For example, uh, young people, young adults, let's say next year you go off to college you leave, you leave your, your father and mother's home and you go to attend college away. Where are you going to go to church? How do you know which church to attend? That's why we have the, the benefit of these marks. Or for you uh, young adults who are thinking about getting married, where should you look for a fellow saint? Where should you look for a, a husband or a wife who is a brother or sister in Christ? You look in a true church. That's where you find fellow brothers and sisters. 
who you can believe are united to Christ in faith. Jesus Christ clearly reveals the true church as the place where sinners are saved. So may we all be committed to preserving and protecting these marks as they are gifts from the good shepherd to us, his sheep. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the blessings that we have of seeing these, this mark, particularly this mark of the gospel preaching, as a gift which you have given to the church by which we can be saved. May we all be committed to protecting and preserving the pure preaching of the word. May we as a church never stray to the right or to the left. And may you use that preaching to continue to bring us, to mold us, to create in us new hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.